the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. AM 970 presents Eye on Real Estate. This is your premier source for real estate information. From the hot properties in the tri-state to the latest in real estate market trends. From mortgage news to answers to all of your real estate questions, you'll be in the know with help from the experts. Call now, 866-970-9622. 866-970-9622. Now, here's your host for Eye on Real Estate, Douglas Elements Vice Chair, Dottie Herman. How do you like that? Once again, Michael Harrison uh, co-hosting, co-guest hosting uh, with, of course, uh, Dottie Herman. And uh, Ace is here and Steve is here. Ace Watana Suparp and Steve Ebert from Casson and Casson. This is the royalty of real estate. And uh, I'm honored to have another opportunity to be at the table with such a distinguished group. I'm learning more about real estate than I ever knew uh, in my entire life. I think I'd better go out and make a few investments with some of the knowledge that I've gleaned. It is high on real estate, uh, one of the longest running and uh, most uh, nationally respected real estate programs in talk radio. Heard here in the tri-state area every Saturday morning on AM 970, The Answer. And uh, we will be taking calls, but if it, listen carefully, 866-970-9622, and save your calls for the last half hour of the program. It's a two-hour show, so around 1130, we're going to open the phones and take calls. In the meantime, we're going to be covering a wide variety of subjects. Dottie, I've, I've, wherever I've gone, a lot of people have been listening to the show the last few weeks, and the first question that people ask me is, how's Dottie? Because you were suffering with pneumonia. How, how are you? How are you? Well, we can hear the cough. That's a good opening. How are you feeling, Dottie? Well, I'm feeling better. I still have it. It doesn't seem to sh- shake. Like I still have it. And I, I'm fortunate enough to have a great doctor. And um, I guess I'm going to go back and take more x-rays next week and just see, like, uh, where it's at. And then I, I, you know, so, but, you know, I'm managing. You sound you sound okay for a person who's been, um, you know, uh, dealing with pneumonia and, and respiratory problems. Well, so, you know, I have, I have I have problems with my lungs, so mm-hmm. I'm susceptible to pneumonia. I'm susceptible to COVID. I'm susceptible to anything like that. Not that I live like you know. So when I first got sick, I really just felt like I had a strep throat. Mm-hmm. And um, when I called and I was out in the Hamptons, so I went to an emergency care center and they did. They said you don't have strep throat and you don't have COVID. Well, thank goodness. And they said, but you, then they took x-rays and said, you have pneumonia. Mm. Yeah, and the so. old joke is they can't, they can't cure the common cold, but the good news is they can cure pneumonia. So, yes, you know, without going, without going down a rabbit hole or off on a different track, so let's, um, I want to mention that anybody these days who suddenly finds themselves uh, dealing with health care, uh, I hear this from my work uh, in general talk radio and news talk radio, that everybody is shocked by how difficult it is these days to, tra- to traverse, to, to negotiate the health care system. You talk about the complexities of real estate and the economy and the effect of the pandemic. What do you mean exactly? 
exactly, Michael. What we, I mean we, is, we, I mean is it to get an MRI, to get a CAT scan, to get to get a doctor. If if your if your doctor recommends a specialist because you have something that's outside of the ordinary, it could take two three months <laughs> unless you 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 bother them. It, it could take forever to get a, a an well, appointment. It's you crazy. Know, I have to tell you, and this is so true. You know, I was, uh, this this hit me, this whole lung issue that I had, like maybe a year or two ago. And so um, I finally was so desperate because I'm very active and I really couldn't even walk two blocks without getting winded. Oh, so I kind of looked up best pulmonary and best, uh, and I found that Columbia was one of the best pulmonary hospitals. So, um, and then I looked up, you know, doctors and the head of the pulmonary the department was this Dr. Thomas Shaw. And so I called and I left this message and I probably was probably crying on the phone. I'm like, I can't, I'm so active and I can't even walk two blocks. So he called me back within 20 minutes and, <clears throat> and I, 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 he got me an appointment the next day and I went there and the first thing he said to me, and he was an elder man, and he just took my hand and he said to me, I'm going to help you. Mm. Mm. And Michael, all I can tell you is those words were like gold to me. That is beautiful. He looked at me as he said, don't worry, I'm going to help you. Well, so much, and, um, uh, so much depends upon uh, bedside manner, and that even—that's in all business, in all things. The, the, the warmth right. and the caring of, of somebody. As a matter of fact, we're going to talk a little bit about um, bedside manner per real estate uh, in terms of dealing with people in this thing. industry. It's—it's it's exactly the same thing. Hey, Steve Ebert, welcome back. Uh, We—I—I I know as as the uh, temporary co-host of the program, I missed your expertise on uh, the law. Uh, everything cool in your world? Everything is great. Uh, thank you. Glad to be back. Um, Daddy, glad we it's starting you. to feel better. Thank, thank you. It was my son's bar mitzvah last Saturday, so um, if I was on the show, no disrespect to all of our listeners, but I'd be out of the family if I wasn't there. <laughs> how so, did you deal? How um, did you deal with the bar mitzvah with the pandemic? Were you able to work around it and uh, have a successful event? It, first, it was it was absolutely wonderful. Thank you. It was, we were the first uh, in person one at our synagogue in. Um, in 18 months. So, really? it, so what we did, what, yeah, everything else has been a zoom, which, which, you know, credit to all the young adults and all the families who had to go through that. Um, things kept on changing. And I, and I think what it is, is you have to show flexibility and resilience. I mean, things changed even last week, a couple of days before. And luckily we had some beautiful weather. It was indoors, a little outdoors. And, you know, it was a wonderful day. And it makes you also focus on what's important. You know, a meaningful exactly. experience for a young adult really growing into the world. Oh, there's no question about it. And uh, one of the things I'm also enjoying about um, the uh, my little uh, endeavor here in the real estate world is that we're not just talking about properties. Um, there's such a big difference between the concept of a house and a home. And uh, again, it's an it's an area where you, you talk about what's really important. Also at the table with us today is uh, is our expert from the uh, the finance end of things. And that's Ace Watana Suparp. He is the senior vice president president national director of strategic sales at citizens bank citizens bank 
is the uh, the driving force supporting this program, a sponsor, and uh, they take the name Citizens because that's why the bank was founded, to help citizens, regular people, average people like me and you, not just big corporations, citizensbank.com. Keep that handy. And the number is 800-922-9999. Ace, um, I'm glad I'm getting to spend another uh, Saturday morning with you. It's a pleasure having met you, and uh, I marvel at... Uh, your accomplishments and knowledge of the the scary world of finance, which I have to admit is not my strong suit. So when I talk to a guy like you, I feel like I'm in awe. <laughs> oh, good morning, Michael. It's, I'm so we're so happy to have you, and uh, I'm so glad that the whole gang is uh, is on the show today. Welcome back, Stephen. Hi, Dottie. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Wonderful. Thanks, all right, so 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 Dottie, before we even get started, you had sent me a note um, this week, and and I found it very interesting that um, there seems to be a boom in the number of cars in Manhattan. Is is that true? I, it, it shocked me, and as a result, it's well, causing. I don't know if the <laughs> boom. I haven't counted the cars, so no. I couldn't tell you. Exactly how many cars are in Manhattan, and it's really hard to tell you from because you know maybe Ace since you you've never really left the city, but like even six months ago you could walk. I mean I live on Central Park South, and there wasn't a and that's kind of very midtown and very congested. There wasn't a car there. Now the UN was in session. What I can tell you is that from all the years I've been in the city. This year, it didn't seem like the same amount of people were here. Like, the U.N. is like chaos, usually, when, you know, the session's on. Um, but I do think that there are more cars, because I think less people are taking transit. Um, but I can't, you know, I, everything is relative. I don't know what I'm comparing that to. If I'm comparing to that to a year ago, yes, by all mm. means. If I'm comparing to that to before the pandemic, then I don't, I don't, I don't know if I'd be correct. Well, the the business aspect of it uh, in the in the information that um, I looked at and, and I, I basically glanced at it, but it's one of those. It's it's not just a business thing. It's kind of a sociological uh, oriented phenomenon is that as a result of there being uh, allegedly being more cars in Manhattan, because having lived in Manhattan for a number of years myself, I know how important the relationship between parking space <laughs> and your <laughs> happiness is. I, I, I mean, I I literally figured out the alternative side of the street parking situation and how to get around it and when the cops would go by and not bother you if you if you were double parked at a certain time i used to do business for my car for an hour and a half so i had a good position <laughs> you, you know what i'm talking about and anybody Absolutely. who knows me i learned all that stuff uh, and, and living in a uh, in a co-op it was a constant dance to, to find a place for, for my car. But um, the, the point that this information made was that the price of garage space, which is oh. in Manhattan pretty extraordinary compared to the rest of the country, um, has gone up. And uh, Asa, is, is that happening? Do you know anything about that? I mean, I know it's outside the area of mortgages, but it's a, it, it really is a major component. You know what, Michael? Everything is funny you bring that up. Everything is relative. When, you, when we sell houses, it's not just the house. It's a lifestyle. So part of how you work, how far from work you are, you know, how far parking is, all that you have to take into consideration. So it is very much part of real estate. Mm -hmm. But Ace, have you found that the parking spaces have gone up? 
Oh, Dottie, parking spaces, it's a, it's a gem in Manhattan, right? So no matter pandemic, um, pre-pandemic, oh, post-pandemic, it's always, always um, expensive because it's, it's one of the most sought-after spaces in New York City. But talking about the traffic, I mean, I can tell you I never left Manhattan. And I, I know we've been talking about this uh, from time to time on the show. But when, when I first, when the first, when, when the, when the first pandemic actually occurred in Manhattan. I wish I took more pictures and videos, Dottie, because that seems like such a far, far fetched memory now. Because wow. everywhere I walk in the city there's traffic everywhere, Michael. Mm. And um it was it was just it was just a scene from a movie, right? It was almost like a po- like the apocalypse where nobody was in the city. It was like the Twilight now, Zone. There was no it was one. Like the Twilight Zone, Dottie. There's no one. And now if you walk in the city you know, I drive from time to time to Long Island and, and to, to to visit some of the team members. And I can tell you, Michael, it used to take me maybe 20 minutes, like literally from Manhattan to like, let's say, uh, Bayside, right? Because there's no traffic now. It's about an hour, an hour, 15 minutes. So traffic is definitely back. It's it's good to see, as, as ironic as it sounds. You know, I never thought I would say that, but it's just good to see everyone back sort of not not back to normal, but at least there's some normalcy in terms of rush hour traffic and things of that nature. So people are honking, people are yelling at each other. So New York City is definitely back, Michael. I'm curious. Way, yeah, so. I'm curious what the numbers are in terms of mass transit. Um, I've heard it said, uh, and again, I'm not. I don't live in Manhattan at this time, uh, but I have lived there for years at a time, so I, I I have a feel for it. But I wonder what the numbers are, uh, and I don't expect anybody to have it off the top of their head but uh, maybe just from anecdotal uh, experience in well, the subways and on, in terms of getting a cab or, or an Uber and Lyft and all that. Uh, let me mass- tell you there's less cabs. I can actually tell you there's less cabs. And, um, you know, when you're in Rome, um, when you're in Rome, and by the way, I'm going to be going there soon. I'm going to be doing a speaking engagement in Rome. But you'll see that when you're in Rome, you'll see all these people dressed in suits and these women, like, dressed in nice work outfits, riding bicycles. Because mm-hmm. in Rome, there's not enough parking. So the only people that are allowed to park cars are people that actually live there and have apartments there. So all the people that work in Rome but live outside of Rome have to ride bicycles in. Right. Or I remember my when I the first time I ever saw a smart car was in Paris. And then I saw, you know, people, they, they ride around on motor scooters. They park them on the, on the sidewalk. It's uh, it's pretty it's pretty amazing. Um, you were, but you were saying I'm sorry, I interrupted you. No, I was saying and London has the same problem. So the city has always had that traffic problem. Mm. Um, but I, and going back to what he said. It was almost, like, scary. I felt like I was entering the Twilight Zone during the pandemic because there wasn't a car. I mean, there wasn't a car. And now it's coming back to normal. Um, I left the city at, I think, let's say, 2.30, quarter to 3 yesterday. Um, It took me three hours uh, to get to exit, which is kind of like around Syosset, around that area on Long Island. It took me three hours just to get that far. Uh, was most of the traffic in the city, or was it all the way on the uh, either the northern state or well, the expressway? Well, Midtown, obviously, Midtown is is the hardest place, one of the hardest places to get out of the city because you got to go through the city to get out. But it was it was tons of traffic in the city, and then on a Friday, 
usually it used to be that if you left by, let's say, 4, 4.30, um, 4, you could kind of sneak it through. Now, if you don't leave by before 3 o'clock, you can forget it. You're going to have traffic right through. Steve, how do you get around? Uh, are you a public transportation guy, or do you drive, or, or do you not spend a lot of time in the inner city in, in Manhattan uh, in terms of your day-to-day business? The answer is all, all the above. Um, so, you know, partly we end up going where we have to go, and so every week I'll be in Westchester, I'll be in the city, I'll be in Long Island, and it'll be a mix of everything, driving uh, and mass transit. Uh, I, I will say that Mass Transit's done an excellent job, um, at least on the trains in Westchester to Grand Central. Um, they are very much in order um, and well run. But, you know, you can, it's, you can tell. I mean, anecdotally, you can see how many cars are in the lot, how many people are on the trains, how often are they running trains. And the answer is, unfortunately, less all around. You know, mm. fewer people are parking in the lots, fewer people on the trains, and they have fewer trains, and which has also meant that they – are less expressed, so you really need to time your day better, and you really need to plan ahead. Um, and I think that's part of the process. I mean, look, we need to take a look. When you're designing a city, right, you need to take a look at mobility and access as general principles. And we have a great infrastructure, and I think this is part of the evolution of real estate, right? You're seeing concepts of how do I create a living experience that has work living, food, um, you know, exercise and and conveniences. So I think you're seeing developers look at things differently. Like, Mm. for example, there's some supermarkets in Europe and in Israel, and you're going to start to see it here in the U.S., where they actually have hydroponics in the supermarket. And, you know, people have talked about farm to table. Well, literally, you're seeing the lettuce growing in a vertical wall in the supermarket, and you can pick your head of lettuce that's been growing the last two weeks. You know, so if you do steps like that, you're also changing logistics and how much trucking is coming in and, and the stress on the infrastructure. You know, someone mentioned the smart car in Europe. The smart car inventor has teamed up with a tech team in Israel and it's being manufactured in Germany. This is a car that you're going to see commercially in about 18 months. They're going to start doing the tours. Um, we're literally... If you look at most of the personal movement, most people driving in the city are one person. So the question is, why create a vehicle that seats five, that seats seven, if you're moving one person? It stresses the roads. It stresses the parking. So they created an actually slightly smaller version of the smart car, a one-seater, but it's still a vehicle, not a motorcycle, because I wouldn't feel comfortable doing the the moped of rome right and going around that that's not me um, I, I like my vehicle yeah yeah, um, yeah no it's true and what it and the brilliant thing they did was it has two speeds a performance and then a urban traveling where literally the wheels extend out for performance for high speed driving or in the cities the wheels actually retract inside the chassis so that wow. the space it takes up is just a little bit more than a motorcycle so you're getting a car but it parks like a motorcycle. And the stats show that around 80, 85% of people driving in urban areas are one-person drivers. This is part of an evolution, and you're going to see more of this when we get into how do we own cars, how do we move, ride-sharing, and so forth. This is all part of a debate that we're all figuring things out, right? We've had 
the zip cars, we've had the Ubers. This the debate's not done. And it's just the beginning, it's actually. You, you you bring up a really Absolutely. good point, Steve. Uh, we're uh, yeah. talking a little bit about infrastructure here, and uh, it does relate to real estate in a big time way, especially in New York. We're going to continue that, and then some. It's uh, Ace Watana Suparp and Steve Ebert. Of course, Dottie Herman is the host of the program, and I'm her guest co-host, Michael Harrison, on Eye on Real Estate. Route 22 Toyota. All right, Alex Kinsella, he wants you to know that due to the current landscape in the automotive industry, your current vehicle has never been worth more. That's right. Alex told me that he's paying overbooked value for all makes and models. So get over to Route 22 Toyota in Hillside, New Jersey right now and find out how much your vehicle is worth, whether you lease, finance your vehicle, or own it outright. It's worth more now than ever before. Alex says it does not matter if you purchase or lease a new vehicle. They're offering overbooked value for any make or model. Supply is low, which means your vehicle is in demand. And our friends at Route 22 Toyota, they are making it worth your time. It's 973-705-8905. You speak to someone on Alex's team, you get more than ever before for your current vehicle. The address at Route 22 Toyota is 109 Route 22 West in Hillside, New Jersey, 973-705-8905. Or start here, please, Route22Toyota.com. Your business is ready for a reboot, a recharge. The way our companies operate has changed. Adapting to the changes hasn't been easy, but never more important to succeed. Many of the digital resources available have helped overcome obstacles your business is facing. But are you using the full potential of every one of them? That's where Salem Surround can help. Your business needs to use digital tools more than ever to stay in touch with customers, making buying decisions right now and for the future. Will they consider or even know about you? The marketing team at Salem Surround gives you the tools needed to stand out and be visible to current and potential customers online right now looking for what you do. We'll design a plan that targets and surrounds customers with proven marketing strategies. Contact Salem Surround for a free evaluation of your marketing plan and see how we can help place your advertising message in front of today's consumers. Learn more at surroundnewyork.com. Surroundnewyork.com. Connecting you with new customers. They say that in life, expect the unexpected. No one goes into marriage anticipating divorce. But when you need help navigating the rough waters, Helfand & Associates understands that every family situation is unique. Tanya Helfand is a certified matrimonial attorney in New York and New Jersey with 29 years of experience. Tanya's expertise includes family law, which entails custody, alimony, and child support, as well as complex financial cases and much more. Helfand & Associates represents both men and women in family law matters and settles 99% of cases, but is prepared to go to trial and fight for the client. Call 973-428-0800 to schedule a free consultation or email tanyahelfand.com. Divorce is not the end of the family. It's the beginning of a new, hopefully happier life. Be sure to tune in Sunday evenings at 5 for Should I Stay or Should I Go with Tanya Helfand of Helfand & Associates, only on AM 970, The Answer. 
Listen to us online at am970theanswer.com. Tune in, iHeart, Alexa, or odyssey.com. Tell me why Relief Factor is so successful in lowering or eliminating pain. I'm often asked that question. Pete and Seth Talbot, the father and son founders of Relief Factor, tell me they believe our bodies were designed to heal. That's right, designed to heal, and now I agree. The doctors who formulated Relief Factor for Pete and Seth selected the four best ingredients, 100% drug-free ingredients that each help your body deal with inflammation. That's correct. Each of the four ingredients deal with inflammation on a different metabolic pathway. That right there. Approaching your pain from four different angles angles may very well be why so many Americans find such wonderful pain relief. If you have back pain, shoulder, neck, hip, knee, or foot pain from exercise or even just getting older, you must order the three-week quick start now. Discount it to only $19.95 to see if it will work for you too. I think it could. Give your body what it needs to heal itself. Go to relieffactor.com, call 800-500-8384, relieffactor.com. It's I on Real Estate. Got a question? Call 866-970-9622. Here's Douglas Elliman's Vice Chair, Dottie Herman. And uh, I'm the uh, Vice uh, Host today with the Vice Chair, Douglas Elliman, Dottie Herman. I'm Michael Harrison. And uh, Dottie is uh, speedily recovering, and uh, she'll be back in the uh, in the driver's seat next week and uh, onward there. Um, the, the number 866-970-9622 was mentioned. Hang Hang on to it, folks. Call us in the last half hour of the show. Uh, between 1130 and 12, we'll open the phones. And uh, our producer on the front line is Alex Garrett. Again, doing a great job guiding this good ship. I'm Michael Harrison. Dottie Herman is here. Aswatana Suparp is here. He's from Citizens Bank. And uh, Steve Ebert, a partner at uh, Casson & Casson LLP, a great real estate law firm. So we got you covered. I don't want to d- dwell on this for too long, but uh, this is kind of fascinating. Uh, we were talking about infrastructure. And one of the things that I know is, as basically I'm a, I'm a broadcaster and a real estate layman, but I have some experience in it. One of the things I noticed when you're buying property uh, in New York, they, they use the term pre-war or post-war buildings. And uh, when, when uh, Steve was talking before about how important it's going to be going forward for Manhattan and the city to modernize, because, you know, New York is just layers and layers and layers of history and, <laughs> you know, uh, underground secret caverns of places people, you know, can, don't even know what's going on down there. Um, anybody can answer this. Maybe, Dottie, you jump in and then uh, Ace or Steve. What, what about the age of buildings when you want to buy a co-op? And, I'd, and I would like to uh, somewhere today talk about the difference between condos and co-ops and rental. But uh, this pre-war and post-war, what war are we talking about? And how does that affect um, what one should be thinking about in terms of buying a property? Dottie, you want to kick it off? Oh, sure. You know, I have been in the business like 30 years or more. And so when I, you know, when we got stuck with Zellman and I, you know, I, I knew the city as far as clubs and places to go and stuff, but I, I grew up on Long Island. So, you know, it's very complex. I would say in the United States of America, trying to navigate, and I don't suggest anyone try to navigate through the city without a broker who knows it. Um, you know, obviously, there. I, I don't know, I actually don't know what war uh, they're talking about, but I really don't. But I do know that 
you know, pre-war buildings, you know, are older. Um, and they're 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 less obviously they're usually less spacious. Um, they're not as open. Um, and there's, you know, there's a lot of restrictions. And, and, and um, I, just like when you, just to go back for one second, when you said the commute, oh, we were talking about that, I suggest that anyone who's buying something, before they buy in a particular area, they go and drive, or if they're going to be taking mass transit, take mass transit and and take that ride during traffic hours and just see what it's like because that's all part of it. And in New York, because they've built, you know, now they're trying to make it like California where they put bicycle lanes and they have little cafes outside and they're in the, in the street, it's even more chaotic which, when there's a lot of traffic. Mm. But as far as condos and co-ops, a condo is uh, basically you own your apartment in the co-ops, if you own shares of a corporation, you don't actually own the real estate. And the co-ops have boards. And um, the boards, people have to, you can have, and Ace can tell you, you can, you can qualify, for, you know, great for, you know, and get, you know, go for a pre-qualification and the bank says, we'll lend you the money. Um, but before you can buy um, a co-op, you have to have an interview with the board. And the board um, obviously can't be illegal, but they they can uh, decide that they just don't think you'll fit into the building and mm. tell you, sorry, you're out. I remember, you know, I think it was Angelina Jolie that we were, like, prepping her for a board interview because a lot of the old, the old co-ops, they don't really want famous people. They don't want all that attention. Um, so... Uh, you have to prepare. You have to be able to uh, prepare for the board meeting, um, answer their questions correctly. And you're, in, in many cases, especially in the, in the really expensive buildings, you have to have a lot more cash. Um, Steve, maybe you can see that. I mean, you, you know, you can qualify for a mortgage yeah. just fine, and then you have to have X amount of yeah. extra I, I want to jump in, Steve. Yeah. Steve, um, yeah. the... When you talk about boards, first of all, I believe condos have boards as well, um, but it's just a, a little bit different level of stringency, but that, it may, that changes from, from building to building. But when you have a board that can rule upon something as sensitive as whether or not you can live in this building, uh, from a financial standpoint, I can understand them being stringent. But then there are so many other legal aspects about how we do business today, uh, uh, in terms of discrimination, in terms of sexism, racism, ageism, uh, etc. Um, what is the legal uh, obligation? What, what legal boundaries do these boards have to adhere to in making these arbitrary decisions? There's a lot of law behind that. Uh, and it's, it can be very confusing for the consumer. And before I answer, I just want to just finish off some of the thoughts that Dottie had on just when you were mentioning pre-war buildings. Well, yes, sometimes you. you may look at these properties and you may think it's the Civil War. In fact, you're talking about before World War II. So you're talking about an era of construction, I would say, in the 20th century, you know, basically like 1900 to, and through the 1930s. That's sort of like 35-year window. 
Um, and it's important to keep that in mind because when we're talking about restrictions and sometimes people say, I want to combine and I want to expand, these are beautifully constructed buildings with certain artisans and skills uh, and, and carpenters that you don't really see today. Um, but I also, people need to do their due diligence on them because they were not only designed before the internet, they were designed with thicker walls before you have Wi-Fi signals, right? They were designed when most people didn't even have a telephone, right? There is a building on 57th Street and 9th Avenue, I believe it's the southwest corner. That was the first building built with telephone lines in it, right? So it's important to keep this in mind because when you're thinking of doing things in renovations and moving things around, how to run electric lines and conduits and so forth through the building, that's an, it could be an extra challenge. Um, but these are magnificent buildings, and they're really built with a level of quality that, that is outstanding. Um, I want to mention now, now at this point, at this point, Steve, just let me step in. We're going to get back. We're going to get back to the question I asked you before about what legal restrictions are the boards under. But um, uh, I do thank you for bringing us back to the the issue we were talking about before. I'd like to keep this as structured as possible so we can be productive in this in terms of the pre-war and the post-war. And yes, it was World War Two. Um, and then I want to ask Ace a question about it. And we will get back to the law question about the boards. But um I would I would imagine that um, a lot of it has to do with the condition of the building in terms of uh, the value of the building. And Ace, uh, you're the one who has you, you have your finger on the pulse of values. Um, does the pre-war and the post-war um, fall into any kind of a pattern in terms of something that the consumer, the, the buyer should think, oh, pre-war, post-war, what should I be thinking about? What are, what are the general statistics in terms of the impact of that upon price and upon saleability and then comfort in terms of living? I think in terms of the financial stability of the building, um, you know, if you look at New York City uh, during the crisis, co-ops actually held their uh, the best value just because there's a board, there's folks looking at the financials, there's um, voting rights, things of that nature. But as you look at pre-war buildings and post-war buildings, especially when you compare them to new development with condos, um, properties, that's that's real property, you'll see that pre-war buildings, especially co-ops, will be at a lower price point. Now, you know, some of the things that Stephen mentioned in terms of the architecture of high ceilings, thick walls, beautiful old herringbone wood floors. You know, when I think about pre-war buildings that's that's what i think about right we're, we're burning fireplaces and i don't sometimes they'll have like decorative plaster moldings so if you're into architecture and the history of a building you know co-ops are are number one a really really good value because the price point is a lot cheaper um but when you look at it on a financing perspective michael you know one of the things that we look at for financing is is the building approved and and some of those components or factors that we look at are the financial stability of the building itself, um, you know, how well is it kept, you know, what's going on in terms of um, any maintenance requirements that it, that the building needs, cash reserves, things of that nature. And mostly co-ops are in very good financial standings, and uh, that's really what we look at. So when you compare pre-war, post-war, or even new construction, these are the things that a bank will look at 
Yeah. Is, is it appropriate for the person who's being grilled by the board to turn it around and say, so what are you guys doing here to make this an attractive purchase for me? <laughs> that, but wait, yeah, but yeah. I mean, all right, I, I, let's, I let's mean, leave it at that. Let's let's leave it at that point. We got the music playing, which means the hook is coming. And then we'll be back with a lot more of Ion Real Estate. So uh, we're talking with Ace and Steve and Dottie Herman. I'm Michael Harrison, guest hosting with Dottie. Interesting conversation. A lot of information floating around, a lot of takeaways. And that's the whole point of the show. So uh, don't go away. Come back. I'm Michael Harrison with Dottie Herman, Ace and Steve. And this is Eye on Real Estate. Test and Reliability Engineer 3, Peloton Interactive, Inc. in Secaucus, New Jersey. Job description, plan, design, and implement procedures and tools to be employed in product qualification testing and ongoing reliability testing of products and equipment. Develop and maintain testing procedures for new product development and sustaining engineering activities. Work cross-functionality and confer with other engineers to create and implement testing operating procedures and work queues. Monitor and implement test processes and data flow. Investigate and analyze root cause of product and equipment failures through the use of Six Sigma tools, recommending modifications as necessary to eliminate failures and malfunctions. Design product and equipment testing apparatus. Generate technical drawing and designs for custom testing equipment fabrication. Design, develop, and automate custom test equipment to interact with products. Test alternate product designs for necessity of modification by performing product validation and verification with off-the-shelf testing equipment as well as custom-built machinery. Write test requirements and reports and provide feedback to design and production engineers based on testing results. Coordinate maintenance of safety procedures, ensuring safety protocols are being followed. Resume to Christina.ellis at OnePeloton.com, job code 49134.00114. Once again, resume to Christina.ellis at OnePeloton.com, job code 49134.00114. That's Christina.ellis at OnePeloton.com, job code 49134.00114. This entertainment answer brought to you by Exergen. Food Network and Discovery Plus are the go-to destinations for out-of-this-world holiday-themed programming with edge-of-your-seat competitions and mind-blowing edible creations. One of my family's favorite competitions is Halloween Wars, and it kicked off Sunday, September 19th. Once again, it has an elite panel of judges, including cake decorator Shinman Lee and Food Network star Eddie Jackson. It's Halloween Wars, and to hear my interview with Eddie Jackson, head over to theentertainmentanswer.com. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation is honoring America's heroes and their families with 200 mortgage-free homes this year. In a moving tribute to the fallen, the Foundation's chairman and CEO walked from the Pentagon to Shanksville and on to Ground Zero, more than 500 miles through six states in 42 days. The Foundation brought Towers of Light back to the Pentagon and Shanksville memorials in remembrance. And in a first for the nation, the Foundation read aloud the names of those who lost their lives to 9-11 related illness on Veterans Day. Another first, the foundation is reading aloud the names of people lost in the war on terror. The foundation is also giving away a home a day through the holidays this year. It's its season of hope. Do good and help America to never forget. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. It's T, the number two, and T.org. And we thank you. 
Listen to us online at am970theanswer.com. Tune in, iHeart, Alexa, or odyssey.com. Want to listen to AM 970 The Answer on the go? There's an app for that. Download our free smartphone app so you can listen to all your favorite shows, keep up with us on social media, enter contests, win prizes, and even interact with our hosts all in one place. Just search AM 970 The Answer in the iPhone App Store or the Google Play Store for the Android. Again, search AM 970 The Answer and download our smartphone app today. That way, you can take us wherever you go. It's I on Real Estate. Got a question? Call 866-970-9622. Here's Douglas Elliman's Vice Chair, Dottie Herman. And Dottie will be back in the uh, driver's seat next week. She's certainly with us at the table as she's recovering and proving to be one of the greatest troopers, not only one of the greatest women in American business, but one of the greatest troopers among the human race. Dottie, you're amazing, and uh, you're, you're inspirational. You. Um, we, we had a little bit of a hot discussion going, and I want to get right back to it. Uh, the question on the table was, okay, you're standing before the board at a condo or a co-op, and you know they're going to give you a tough time. Are, are you good enough to live here? It's very personal when you think about it, and people even have to be prepped and, and trained how to handle it. But considering what an investment you're making and considering how many factors there are that could make it a good building or a bad building, I pose the question, is it appropriate to turn it around and like at a job interview? Well, tell me about the company. You know, maybe I don't want it to work for you. Tell me about how you're running this, 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 this joint. Maybe I don't want to live here. Steve, you were, you were answering um, that. What, what's your reaction to that? Yeah, so there's a few things at play here. Um, on the one hand, and let's talk just about co-ops for the moment. We'll get to condos in just a little bit. Um, but co-ops, because they are a private corporation, they, they do have the right to make a decision, and they have wide discretion that they think that's in the best business judgment for the corporation. So if they think you're wonderful, but they think you're paying too low of a price, you got too good of a deal, they can actually reject your transaction because they think the price is too low. If they think wow. you're not financially qualified, even if every bank is happy to give you a loan, they can reject it. They can even make a decision and say, well, the lender is willing to give you an 80% mortgage. And what we mean by 80% is 80% of the purchase price. So if you were buying a million-dollar place, $800,000 loan, even if the bank feels very comfortable with that loan, the building can say, as a policy, you can't borrow more than half. So you can have that kind of restrictions. On the other hand, housing is something with a public accommodation, and it is illegal under federal law, under New York state law, and also New York City law to discriminate. Mm. And if you are rejected for a variety of protected classes, and do keep in mind that the, the, what is defined as a protected class in New York City, New York State, or on the federal level are not exactly identical, and we can come back to that, then, of course, the corporation could be, that is completely legal and be subject to liability. So now, piecing these couple of points together, number one, how do you make that point? Because you, you have an uphill climb, because you have this tension of a private corporation versus public accommodation for housing. Well, there's a lot of debates going on right now, and this is a very cutting-edge issue. Just earlier this year, Westchester County, which also in New York, which also has a lot of co-ops, passed a new law 
that requires co-ops in Westchester County to make a decision within a certain period of time and to also now notify you why you were turned down. Ah, that's interesting. And that is a Westchester County law. That is a Suffolk County law. That is not the law in New York City. It's been discussed. It's been kicked around a bit, but it is not the law in in New York City. So I think what's going to happen, to to cut to the case on that point, is we're going to see, does this create an environment for increased litigation? How does this create liability? And do remember that the people who are on co-op boards are your neighbors. They are volunteers. They're doing this for free, and they do spend a lot of time. So you have a lot of moving parts over here. But what's interesting in that vein, the Westchester law requires these board members to actually undergo fair housing, as we call it, anti-discrimination training to help them actually understand. Because remember, your board member may have no legal experience, no financial, no brokerage experience. So that's an important part of it. So this is definitely a hot button issue. That, that's yeah, well, I'm sure, Steve, I'm sure that I'm sure that when they have to give, you know, in Westchester and Suffolk, when they have to give you the reason you were rejected, they don't say it's because you had purple hair. They, they, they obviously are not but going to. Well, th- th- that's could. that's where it's interesting. Indeed, I want to I, I want to switch. I want to I want to yeah. pivot to Dottie. Dottie, hang on to your thought. I want to ask you a question. Is there a reverse psychology here? Whereas the people that own units in a condo or a co-op start to worry that the board is being too restrictive and it makes it difficult to turn around and sell your property. In, in other words, uh, yes, if, they, yes, if they're yes. too exclusive, then like, how the hell do I get out of here? Well, let me put it this way. I have witnessed many uh, uh, co-ops where um, the board rejected the buyer and the buyer needed to sell. Um, they didn't have to give a reason. And um, going back to your question, Michael, if you start like getting wise with the board and say, by the way, what are you offering me or blah, 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 I would uh, assume in many cases you'd be for sure rejected. Mm. Uh, you know, I can tell you, uh, the first the first day that I came to the city, there was an agent that was losing a listing in Sutton Place, which was a co-op, and Sutton Place is known to have pretty strict co-op rules. And um, it was a doctor who bought the apartment when he got married, and then eventually got a job at either North Shore, LIJ, one of those hospitals on Long Island, and so kept the apartment, but they moved to a bigger state on Long Island. They really didn't live there. And um, I went to help the agent relist the property because it didn't sell at the time. And I got the greatest buyer. And they really were mad at this guy, this doctor, that he never lived there. And uh, they rejected it for no reason. And, you know, you, you know that the Madonna had that famous case where she wanted to let one of her older children live in it because she travels a lot. And if I'm not mistaken, she lost. Uh, you know, so, you, you know, you really have to be very, very careful. And I would never suggest somebody do it without a broker who knows what they're doing and without an attorney that really knows co-op, you know, not your son-in-law that does divorce law. You know, because it is very tricky. Interesting. And they don't really, you know, and and everybody's different. But I was in Palm Beach last winter. I was at a party that somebody had. 
and I won't mention names, but the president of the co-op, of a, of a very big co-op, very prestigious and expensive, came over to me and he said, can we have a private meeting for a few minutes? And I said, sure. So he kind of walked away from the crowd. He said, Dottie, do you think that maybe we're a little bit being too strict on our requirements for this building, this particular building, which I will not mention? And uh, he said, and I, I said, look, you're not going to be competitive. And, you know, it's one thing to reject people for no reason at all. Uh, but, you know, when people have to sell their property, you know, they could be in a bind. And he asked me to write a letter, and I did. I wrote a letter that he was going to present to the board on why I thought they should, like, loosen them up a little bit. At the same token, you know, it's good that they're strict because, you know, there's some semblance. But, you know, they really can reject you for reasons that, you know, like as I think Stephen said, I mean, they just might not like who you are. Or they don't generally like attorneys. Or they think you're too high profile and they don't want all that rigmarole. Or, and then you have to look at who's allowed to live in it. I mean, if, you, if, you, if you're in a co-op, and let's just say you, you can't be there for, let's say you're, you're, you're going to be away for a couple of years, um, you have to read the rules. And, you, you know, you can't always just let somebody just live there. Right. But, so, you know, yeah, the whole the whole subletting and uh, uh, that whole issue is something that uh, one should consider. And I know Steve deals with that. Ace, we haven't heard yeah. from you. Anything and we've been talking about? One, and I apologize. Can I just add one point on it? Even though we're mentioning a lot of really good concerns and, and important points, I guess we want to point out that the vast you don't the reason that these stories also stand out is that there are plenty of transactions that occur smoothly, too. So as long Hopefully. as you do your due diligence, <laughs> so yeah. because because do keep in mind you'd hear these stories every day in the press, and, and there's probably about four to five times as many co-ops as there are condos in Manhattan. So you definitely want to be careful and know what you're doing, and with the right guidance, you'll be fine. But also, they're they're not, you know, while you can have an instance of it, they're not tyrannical boards always either. Mm. So, Ace, uh, from the from the financial standpoint, anything that we've discussed in terms of this uh, that uh, rings a bell with you? We haven't heard from you in a few minutes. Yeah, no, thank you, Michael. And uh, not necessarily on a financial standpoint or a banking standpoint, but just, you know, from speaking with so many buyers, when you, when you consider purchasing a co-op, that's really a concern, you know, what we're talking about today, which is, you know, if you find a, a buyer and you own the property, let's say, down the line, you know, will you be able to sell your apartment because of the board, right? I mean, they ultimately make the final decision. So that's some, that's probably one of the biggest concerns that everybody discusses when purchasing a co-op, although it's attractive, it's a lower price point than a condo, new construction. But ultimately, if you want to, um, let's say, make renovations in your apartment, things of that nature, you need approval. So although it's a cheaper price point, Sometimes folks feel as if they don't really own the property or have the decisions to do what they want with the property without getting proper approvals. So that could be a hindrance and a challenge at times. And to Dottie's point, you know, Madonna has a lawsuit and things of that nature. So people are, are definitely well aware of the um, sort of challenges that they could face. But, again, it's uh, there's not one size fits all. So some people right. are okay with that. Some people aren't, and that's really up to the folks to decide, you know, what what are the be- pros and cons and benefits of 
owning a co-op. So One of the uh, things that uh, has come to light in this conversation during the past hour, we are working our way toward the top of the hour in the news, and uh, I, uh, I do want to touch upon in the next hour uh, ways to be as close to Manhattan as possible without being in Manhattan, outer borough opportunities and how it differs from Manhattan. But the, the point I'm making is that Operating in the real estate world of New York City, particularly Manhattan, is an entirely different culture, an entirely different business than a real estate in almost anywhere else in America. And uh, some of the complexities of that are being exposed here. And what I feel it comes down to is what are you willing to do? How are you willing to change What compromises are you willing to make, whether it's parking, whether it's dealing with boards, whether it's dealing with infrastructure, to live in the greatest city in the world, New York? One thing, we have about a minute and a half, and I I just want to throw this out real fast. You know what drives me crazy when it comes to having lived in New York and dealing with the infrastructure is the fact that one day you can wake up and in front of your building, your beautiful building, is scaffolding. And they go, it's only going to last three. It's going to last three weeks. They have to do it. And it's there for a year. Uh, More than a year. <laughs> it's like I, I, I lived in a place for three years and half of the time I lived in it, there was scaffolding in front of it. And the only good thing about it for me was that when I walked my dog, I didn't get wet because it, it covered the sidewalk. <laughs> But I don't even know what I don't even know if that's a question or just me um, commenting on something that comes to my mind when I think about the infrastructure. Dottie, you jumped in. What are your thoughts about scaffolding? No, I had that in my building. I think it's for five years that there's scaffolding in front of it still. So, um, so yeah, that, that's true. But 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 to, to, just to sum it all up, it's still a great city, and the wonderful thing about New York. And I always say to people, it should be a lesson for the world to see, especially that we're in a place in the world, which I don't think is so great, where everyone's polarized. Uh, You can be anything in New York, and nobody cares. I mean, like, you know, New York is accepting of everyone. Um, And, you know, it's a a dense, it's not, you know, it's, it's dense, it's density, and there's a million people living on top of each other of every race, nationality, God knows how many languages, and somehow it all works. It's amazing that it works, you know, and, and well, certainly, you know, that's my philosophy. I'm amazed that every, anything works at all. You know, we talk about all the problems in society, but when you think about a city like New York, from the moment the sun comes up till it goes down, that uh, the, the, the kind of action and interaction and transactions and traffic and, and people going about their business to and fro and companies opening and closing and elevators going up and down and airplanes flying into airports, it's amazing that a city like New York even operates at all, that it doesn't just come to a crashing halt. Um, and that is a more of a philosophical perspective than anything else. But, uh, hey, uh, it all comes together. There's a together. buzz. There's a beat. There's something. Yeah, yeah, There's yeah. something to New York that I don't think you quite get anywhere else in the country. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to, and as I said, you know, being on a vacation for a week or two, it doesn't tell you what it's like to live there. But when you live in New York, as I... I as I've now lived there for 15 years, and there's just a buzz, and it's just kind of a, so eclectic, mm. and, you know, nothing, I Wonderful. mean, like I said, nothing, you know, everything is accepted there, where, you know, and when you get out, as you want to talk about later, to the suburbs and everything, it's a little bit more, it's, it's a okay, little different. We- 
it's certainly. And we're going to talk a little bit about um, outer borough buying and uh, other issues. So if you want to call the last half hour, 866-970-9622. Michael Harrison with Dottie. We have Ace and we have Steve. The A-Team is here. It's Royalty of Real Estate. And you are listening to Eye on Real Estate. Eye on Real Estate with Dottie Herman is sponsored by Citizens Bank N.A. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.